And so the title of our message is Making the Most Out of What You Have. That's our title, Making the Most of What You Have. We're going to go on here in chapter 19. We started the, the first part and we got to verse 10. And now we're going to go on from verse 11 through 27 tonight. We're going to take this next section here. Making the most of what you have. And with this, we're going to see three things. Number one, the reason for the parable. Number two, the reward of the faithful. And number three, the rebuke of the unfaithful. So I've broken up our section into these three parts. So let's begin with the first part of making the most out of what you have. And number one in our outline here is the reason for the parable. The reason for the parable. Now if you're taking notes, we're going to be covering from verses 11 through 14 in this section. So this, this is the first section we're going to take. But let's read, first of all, Matthew chapter 19, verse 11. Just verse 11 right now. It says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So we begin here with Luke writing here in verse 11, As they heard these things. Well, as the people, as the Jews who are following Jesus there, they heard these things about Jesus. And in particular, really, were they heard why Jesus came to this earth. And we saw that last time. We ended it in verse 10. If you look up there, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And we talked about that. That it was his mission to die on the cross for our sins to save us, right? Well, as they heard these things, as they heard Jesus talking about his mission, well, Jesus went on now to tell this parable. Now, remember, a parable is like analogy, a picture, a story that, that illustrates a principle of God's truth, of his word, or even a story that has a lesson in it. So here Jesus gives this parable. Why? Because he was near to Jerusalem. Remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He is actually in Jericho, right? He healed uh, the the uh, or he, he yeah he healed the blind man on the way in, and then he he met with Zacchaeus, right, the chief tax collector. So he's there in Jericho, 50 miles away, east of Jerusalem. He's almost there. And remember, this is the last time he's going to get to Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, he's going to be betrayed, illegally arrested by the Sanhedrin. They're going to put him on trial, give him over to Pilate, and he's going to die on the cross. So this is he's, he's, he's reaching the end of his life, but the purpose of his mission to come on the earth. So as they heard about Jesus' mission, he, he wanted to tell them a parable because as he's getting near to Jerusalem, we see in verse 11, they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God here, what they were looking for is the Messiah to come in and bring in the kingdom of God, to come in and set his rule and reign on earth, to get rid of the Romans, conquer the Romans, defeat them, and then bring in God's kingdom so the Jews would not live under that oppression and Rome being the enemy. So they were excited. Well, here's the Messiah. Here's Jesus. He's heading to Jerusalem. This must be it. This must be it. So they supposed that this was when it was all going to happen, what was prophesied, and it's going to happen because he's right there almost at Jerusalem. But we know that this is his first coming, right? Jesus Christ. He first came to die on a cross for our sins. His second coming, he's going to set up that rule and reign on earth. And that's going to be during what we call the millennium, the thousand year reign of Christ upon the earth. So remember, these guys were looking for a conquering Messiah, but they didn't really want a crucified Messiah. So to encourage them, to help them understand this and to encourage them to stay faithful. And this is even if things aren't going to work out like they hoped it would be. He gives this parable. So he begins here in verse 12. Look at verse 12 and 13. He said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. 
calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. So here he's giving this parable, helping them understand that this nobleman, this king, this ruler, this the, the, this person, this official person is going to go too far away to be officially made a ruler of this certain region. And so that's sort of the idea. And, in, and actually this is relatable because uh, everyone who is hearing this, they knew how Herod's son, Archelaus, traveled to Rome to secure official authority, guess what, over Jericho. So everyone in Jericho knew what, no, this is just like what was happening here. They went to Rome to, you know, to get that official uh, a stamp that he was going to be governor or ruler of that area. But really, let me say that this is a picture of Jesus who after his death and resurrection will ascend to the Father right and be crowned with glory and authority that he would become the name above all names right every knee shall bow before him so that's that's the picture here he's not going to go set up this kingdom on earth not yet he's first going to die and rise again ascend to the father and then be crowned king and lord of all name above all names so Here's this nobleman. He's going to a faraway kingdom, to a country, to, to get that official title and official status. Well, before he goes, he, in verse 13, he called 10 of his servants and he gave them 10 minas. So he calls his 10 servants that he has and he gives 10 minas. They, they each got one mina. Now, a mina is... is is actually equal to six months uh, of wages. We know a denarius is a one-day wage. A 200 denarii equals one mina, and so we calculate that out. It comes to about six months of wages. So, the, so this currency, this this money that is given to them, uh, they each get one mina. He takes ten and gives each of his ten servants one mina. By the way, uh, the the 60 minas equals one talent. And you may begin to see this is this sounds like what is back in Matthew 25 when Jesus talked about the parable of the talents. And you may be familiar with that, but but this is similar, but Jesus I think is telling this in a different way with some different currency. So here we're using not talents, but minas, which is equal to six months of wages. So their instructions from their master, right? These servants in verse, uh, 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 where, are we, where are we at? Oh, 13 is to uh, take the mina and engage in business until I come. So the master as he's away, wants his servants to take that mina and invest it, to put it to work, to make more minas, to make more currency, engage in business to it, to further the master's business interests. So this was their responsibility, to, to, to help the master expand his business. So think about this now. This is a picture of Jesus' business, right? to be furthered, the kingdom God to be furthered on the earth. And we understand that to, so that more people would be saved, that more people would come into the kingdom. So Jesus is really encouraging them with this parable to stay faithful. This is the reason for the parable. They're thinking Jesus is going to come and, and just take care of it all. But Jesus said, no, no, wait, I got to go away. I got to go away and be officially crowned with glory and all of that. But in the meantime, I'm going to give you some minas for you to invest to further the kingdom of God. John MacArthur explained it well when he wrote, This is a call to live a life that honors the absent nobleman that respects him, that shows love to him, that makes the most out of the gifts, privileges, opportunities, and responsibilities that they have been given. 
So that's the real basis of this parable. And, and that's, as we move on, keep that in your mind that this is what Jesus is really talking about. That he's given us mina, quote unquote, so that we would, while he's away, further the kingdom of God with that. And we would make the most out of the mina that he gives us. But take note here. Jesus adds something here. Look at verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, sadly, the servants were there to serve the nobleman. But sadly, the, the no, nobleman's citizens, the, the, the people in that town or that area, that region that was to be under him, they hated him. They didn't like him. So as he went to this faraway country, they sent a delegation to talk against him to as he stood before the official that saying, we don't want him, we hate him, we don't want him over us. Now, this is relatable once again because when Archelaus went to Rome, a delegation of Jews followed him and spoke against him in Rome because actually Archelaus was responsible for the death. He killed 3,000 Jews on the Passover. So they didn't want this guy. They didn't want him there. Actually, after some successive governors and stuff, you know who ended up there at this time was Pilate, Pontius Pilate, we know. And he's going to come into play at the end of Jesus' life. So the people know what happened here. It's like, oh, yeah, this is just like what happened here. This, this is it. But this is a picture now. Jesus is, is putting out a little picture of what, the Jews will do to Jesus in rejecting him. Remember when Pontius Pilate put him in, uh, Jesus presented him in front of the people. They're like crucifying, crucifying, because the Pharisees got the crowd up in a, uh, an uproar about that. So Jesus was letting them know, here's what's going to go on up front in this parable. Now, why? Why, why would the citizens of this town not like the noblemen why would the citizens why would the jews not want jesus to be their ruler well you know why because jesus didn't do what they expected the messiah to do so they rejected him and we've been talking about this. I think this might be the third time about our expectations about God. But here in front of us again, here it is. Jesus is trying to address, look what's going on. Look how sad this is. I mean, I think about how the Pharisees, right? They were so down on Jesus because he didn't really support what? Their lifestyle, their way of legalism, right? Well, hey, we know, we know the word. We know what, how we're supposed to follow God and be with God. And here comes Jesus. No, if he doesn't go along with us, then no. He, he, I don't like him. We don't like him. Remember how Jesus healed people who the Pharisees thought they didn't deserve to be healed. Or Jesus gave mercy to those who they thought, nah, these are lost and they're, not, they're unworthy. These are sinners. And then we re just read recently, right, at the beginning of chapter 19, what, Jesus is hanging out with, with the notorious tax collector? Oh, no way, we, no, no, God wouldn't do that, right? And that was their expectations. And so when Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and he's, if he's really the Messiah, they thought, well, he's going to bring in the kingdom. That's what we expect. But if Jesus doesn't do that, then he's not the Messiah. We're, gonna, we're not going to support him. We don't want him over us. So Jesus tries now to show them through this parable that focusing on furthering the kingdom of God as you accept and submit to what is asked of you. He said that that's what you guys got to do. You got to focus on furthering the kingdom of God as you accept and submit to what is asked of you. That that's the the simple part of of this parable. He just look. This nobleman gave the ten minas. 
they're there to invest that in business, but hey, the citizens are like this, but you know what? We're not to, isn't that sad that they do that? What we need to do is focus on furthering the kingdom of God as you accept and submit to what is asked of you. I was thinking about how you ever like have those times after putting money into the vending machine, the candy bar like gets stuck, you know, there's that, there's that spring looking thing that rotates, yeah, and it's supposed to move the candy out and then also, er, and it, it's like stuck there. You know, it's like, I put money in there. Come on. You're like trying to shake the machine and, and pressing the button again, seeing if they're moving. You don't want to put some more money in there. You already paid paid for it. Maybe that's all you had. And So it's easy to get angry at the machine. It's easy to kick the machine. It's easy to shake the machine. Where's my candy bar? You're supposed to give me my candy bar. I, I put money in. Well, you know what? We can be like that to God. We can be just like that. We can make him our like great vending machine, right? We it's like, oh well, 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 I prayed, Lord. I put faith in you. I asked for this. You said ask, seek, knock. I've been asking, asking, but but it's not coming. We can go through a ritual every day thinking, well, the more we go through this ritual, then maybe it'll come out. It's like putting our change in that vending machine. And when we don't get what we want, we get upset. We get angry, right? And I know some people have basically kicked God out of their life. But Jesus is saying, look, it's not about what you expect. Yeah. God has a plan in all of this. And so the best thing is you focus on furthering the kingdom of God and just accept that what you expect is not going to happen. And submit to whatever God has asked you to do. I mean, think about this anyway. Who's, who's the master, right? Who's the Lord? If we demand from God to do something, then we're making Him our servant, right? No, He's the master. We, we don't make... We're not the master over God and we get upset if he doesn't do what we do. That's not right. You know, I've been learning to accept what God has for me. To accept whatever that situation. To, to, to submit to what the Lord wants me to do. I have expectations. I have wishes and dreams. But really, I need to submit all of that to the Lord and do what He wants me to do. You know, I've I found if I fight it, it it only just makes it worse on me. It it only damages me, my own heart, and 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 all. If if I I let my emotions just drive me, it 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 brings me more into the flesh. But you know what we need to do? We need to accept it. What God has us to do, we accept it. I mean, think about this. God, one of his attributes is, is he's full of wisdom, right? He knows, right? He knows everything. And so he knows better anyway for what is to be going on in my life. So it's better to accept it and then submit to it. Like Give God your heart and trust God in it. And you know what? worship him so i don't know if you caught those three things maybe that's a word for you tonight to not be like the citizens of this nobleman uh, but be more like the servants who just accept that the nobleman's going submit to what he wants you to do and trust in what the nobleman or what jesus wants you to do so accept it submit to it trust god in it and in the end we just worship God anyway. Take a moment and turn over to Habakkuk. Habakkuk. I know that's a little bit of a hard book maybe to find. It is um, right before Zephaniah. Um, it's past Hosea, past Nahum, past Micah. Um, if you hit Zechariah, uh, keep going to the left. But Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. And I want you to look at verse 17 and 18. Habakkuk 
chapter 3. Verse 17, it says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there will be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I think we need to do that. Because I know we all have our expectations and all we all have our hopes and and we want Jesus to do certain things. But in the end, He's God, He's Lord, and what we can rejoice in and have joy in is that He saved us and He is still there for us. So yet I will rejoice, and for me it means too. Yet I will still worship Him. If the storm lasts a little longer, worship him. Even if he can't find a job right now, worship him. Maybe he can't get pregnant and you're really stressing over that. Worship him. Maybe you're in a hospital or someone you love is in a hospital. You know what? Pray and still worship God. Maybe you have made a mess because of your sin and failure. You can still go to God. God is still there for you. And there's still a purpose in it all. So let's be making the most of what you have. Whatever it is, accept it, submit to it, and trust God in it. All right, so this is the reason for the parable. We go on to the reward of the faithful. The reward of the faithful. Now we're going to cover verse 15 through 19. 15 through 19 here. First of all, verse 15, it says, When he returned, having received the kingdom, Matthew chapter 19, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to them, him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over Five cities. Now let's stop right there. So Jesus goes on with this parable now, and the nobleman returns and he has his official title. And so he interviews his servants. And so uh, uh, he came back, he called them to him, and saw, well, what did they do? How did things result in their investment and what they had gained by doing business for him? So the first came into the interview. And the first servant said, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And if you think about that, that one mina multiplied into ten, not just a hundred percent would be, he had two minas, right? But one thousand percent. And so you can tell he'd been faithful to his duty. He had invested well to further the business of his master. So the master's like, well, well done, good servant. Since you've been faithful in very little, and I would say 10 minas is a lot, but uh, one minute is a lot, six months of wages, but still compared to the master's riches, he said, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Remember, this nobleman is, is over this region, so you know I'm going to have you uh, uh, oversee 10 cities of mine. And why is that? Well, the master, this king, you could say now, knows that this servant can be trusted with greater responsibility. So he can give him more things to take care of greater things. Now, this really speaks about the millennium time. That faithful believers we know will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. We find that revelation in some of the Gospels too. But isn't that amazing? God is, we're going to help God, uh, Jesus, rule and reign in the millennium. But it's the faithful ones, the, the ones who've been faithful with, with the little he's given, that he's going to give us greater responsibility. Well, the second one comes in, in um, verse 18 now. The second servant comes into the interview and say, Lord, your mina has made five 
minas. And he said to him, yeah, you'll be over five cities. So in a similar fashion, uh, not 10, but five minas, 500%, which is still great, right? I'm sure he said, well done, good servant, you know, with that way, uh, that he is blessed too to also help rule and reign and govern. Notice both of them said, your mina, right? They recognize it's the masters, it's the kings, it's the Lord's mina, it's his money. So just as with the ten cities, the, the, this servant, the king knows that he can trust this servant with more responsibility uh, governing five regions. So both of these servants proved they could be trusted even more, more with more responsibility. Well, let's pause for a moment here before I go on. In what ways does God today give us our minas? How can we translate this parable into today and in, 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 in who we are and how we're living today? Well, I'm going to give you three ways that God has given us minas. Number one is your mina is your money. I mean, this is what we're talking about, money here, right? And so really, it's it's the money God's given you, the funds God's given you, the, the what's in your bank, what's in your wallet, money there. Um, it, it's that. God has given you money, really, and I talked about this Sunday, to be good stewards of, right? We are managers of God's money, of the money He's given us. It's not ours. It's God's. And he's blessed us with maybe a good job and a good in income and, and, and blessings of gifts and, and all. And we, we have money in a bank, but we are stewards of that. And so how can we be good servants and be and do things well done, you know, and, and get that reward from our master, our Lord Jesus, well, God has given us money to be good stewards with. And so we need to invest in kingdom things. Like give, yeah? Like uh, uh, put your money to help further the kingdom of God. I think most of the time we, we invest in ourselves in what we want. Uh, our return when we invest in the kingdom is souls being saved. Uh uh, dividends is for like people to grow in Christ, to be helped, yeah, in times of crisis, yeah, uh, uh, helping to support, you know, those in ministry who help other people that have crisis in their life. Um, all that it's important that with our money that we do support local church that you support this church that's how we run that um we we also receive your tithes and offerings and we we also put it into our missionaries too and we help them with with the funds that are given so all this is to further the kingdom of god and to invest and to do jesus's business right and that's to save people and help people get closer to christ and grow in god so number one, your mina is your money. There's another way, another thing I should say. Number two, your mina is, listen, the unique ways God wants to use you. Yes, you. I mean, it's easy, yeah, we, we just put the money in the tithing bag and or, or put it in a box. and But your mina is also who you are. The unique ways God wants to use you. God made you unique. God made you special. Each one of you is very special to God. And He wants to use you to glorify Him. And think about this now. We're unique in the sense of our personality, yeah? how we grew up, uh, where we grew up, uh, all of that. You are very unique, but you're very special. The experiences you had, bad or good, whatever that is, you know what? God wants to use you. Who you are today, what you've experienced, God wants to use you to help other people and further the kingdom of God. God wants to use you. And, and, and even the way you 
think, yeah, in the way you see things, uh, the experiences you have and how you see that. You know, God wants to use you because people can relate to what you've been been through and how you what you've learned. So your mean is the unique ways God wants to use you. Also included in that is, of course, your your gifted gifts, you know, how God has gifted you. Maybe uh, your talents, gift and talents in that. And be careful, though. I, I, I mean, a lot of people think, well, what can I do? What am I good at? That kind of stuff. Uh, and yeah, God can use that too. But be careful. Do not limit God with just those things. Uh, I know people have learned guitar or and they're being used in that way. Yeah. Well, I didn't grow up playing guitar. I don't know if I... But you never know. Uh, God can gift you, right? What is a gift? A gift of the Spirit. It's something He just gives you. It's not something, well, I was trained in this. I got a degree in this, right? All that. Uh, some of the, probably the best counselors, you know, are not those who went schooling, though there's many of that, that too, but someone who's just gifted by the Spirit to be able to counsel and help someone. So don't limit God, but be open to how your mina is the unique ways God wants to use you. And even when we talk about gifts and talents, you know, it can even be for the moment. You know, I mean, I say that because sometimes I'm talking to someone and a thought, like the Holy Spirit puts, puts this thought in my mind and I share it. And that's the Lord, you know. And so God can use you even in that way, even in that moment. So, so don't limit God, but just remember, your mean is the unique ways God wants to use you. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe you think, well, I don't have any gifts. I don't know if I can do anything. Or I'm not worthy. You know, Jesus makes us worthy. And if, if you're, you're, you think you've got to be real perfect to be used by God, you know what? I shouldn't be up here then. You know, none of us can serve. But it's Christ who makes us worthy. It's Christ who uses us. So your mina is the unique ways God wants to use you. So the third thing that I want to share is your mina is the opportunities to further the kingdom of God. That's a mina too, because opportunities will come to us where God wants to use you in, in a unique way. Uh, opportunities will come where God wants you to give and, and fund a missionary or fund the church, fund the church or, or you know, help the church along and, and all. And so it, to, to support ministry to go on, you know, there's opportunities to further the kingdom of God. God wants to use you as you serve him. Someone said this, procrastination is not the thief of time. It is also the grave of opportunity. And so don't procrastinate. Don't make excuses. Don't think, well, God, I don't know about me. I don't know. You know what? God wants to use you in a unique way. And even if it's giving or if it's serving, God wants to use you. And your mean is the opportunities that are placed before you to further the kingdom of God. It, it, it can even be as simple as praying for someone. Taking the time to pray for people. Taking the time and effort to serve in the church. I mean, we need cakey church helpers and teachers right now. And, and you can serve in that way. Um, maybe it's, it's to call someone God put on your mind. Whatever that is, God puts opportunities in front of us. And that's our meaning. That's how we invest. That's how we take what God has given us and, and to put it into furthering the kingdom of God. All right. So understand the reward of the faithful. And, this, and it's this. This is our point. You will receive greater responsibilities because you've proved you can be trusted with more. That's how it works. That's how it goes. Uh, Zechariah 4.10, the first part says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. 
Maybe it's a, maybe you have a dream or goal that to be more involved in ministry. Maybe some of you are called to be a missionary. Maybe some of you are called into um, being a pastor. But you know what? It's step by step. And so be faithful with whatever God has given you. Whatever opportunity is there. If it's just moving chairs, be faithful in that. You know, that's not a bad thing. That's needed. I I, I know uh, some guys, that's their ministry. In the usher ministry, move chairs, help out, help seat people. And they love it. That's their calling. And maybe that's yours. Um, maybe you want to teach adults, but, oh, God's calling me to teach children. Well, you know what? Spurgeon said that if you want to teach adults, you've you got to teach children first. Because if they can at- understand you, then adults can understand. You know Wherever God has placed you, be faithful in that. And and do not despise the small beginnings. You know, I watched a documentary a while back on, it was about an 85-year-old expert sushi chef. He's, he's world famous. His name is Jiro Ono. He's owner. He's the owner of a, only a, this was a, this is a 10-seat, 10 10-chair sushi restaurant in the Tokyo subway station and but he's known for his goal for his heart to make the perfect sushi his place is so popular popular only 10 chairs that there's a three-month waiting list and and you got to expect when you go there to spend $350 per person but he, he's known for for being all meticulous and perfect with with just Sushi, uh, I thought was interesting. Uh, one apprentice, a, apprentice that was trying to train under him, his name was Daisuke uh, Nakazawa. Um, uh, in this documentary, they're interviewing him. He said that it took 10 years of training until he was allowed to actually cut the fish. Uh, he was talking about um, he to cook a perfect tamagoyaki, you know, fried egg, um, he spent 40 months. He said it took him 200 tries until Jito approved. And he said, well, when he approved, I, I, I was so happy I cried. I thought, wow, this is per- perseverance. This is being faithful in the little things. And then he's trusted in the greater things. So you will receive greater responsibility because you prove you can be trusted with more. And that's what's important, that we're faithful in those little things. A little thing, Amy Carmichael said, a little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a great thing. And God notices that. Stay faithful. Keep to what God has given you. Don't give up in that. Trust God. Improve yourself. Whatever he's given you, be faithful, be trustworthy with it, and use it all, not for yourself, but to further the kingdom of God. And keep making the most out of what you have. All right, so let's go to number three now, the rebuke on the unfaithful, the rebuke on the unfaithful. And this will cover the rest of our verses from verse 20 to verse 27 so we've seen the reason for the parable the reward of the faithful and now the rebuke on the unfaithful take a look at verse 20 now then another came saying lord here's your mina which i kept laid away in a handkerchief for i was afraid of you because you are a severe man you take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow stop right there so a third servant now is called in and he reports and he says, Lord or Master. Um, and I think that's interesting because he calls him Lord and he didn't really obey, right? He, he, he basically reveals that he didn't do what the Master told him. And he says, here's your mina. Here's that one you gave me. I kept it safe, stored away in a handkerchief. In other words, I didn't do anything. Well, why is that? He explains, well, I know you're a severe man. You're strict and hard to deal with, basically, and 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 you take, well, uh, you take what you didn't deposit. You take what's not yours, and and and. But who gave him that mina? We read it in parable, right? It was the master. It's not his. But he took it like it was his. He received it like, oh, it's mine. 
But he was scared to spend it because, oh, he's going to come, he's going to want it, you know, he, and all that, right? You take what you don't deposit, but, but wait, it's not yours. And he also says, you also reap what you did not sow. Uh, what? You know, what? what you, you mean, um, the guy's like saying like, well, you just take from me what you did not work for. But wait, who's the master here, right? Um, who, who's, who's the one he's working for? I think the guy has forgotten whose money and who is Lord and blames the master now for his lack of his responsibility to do what was asked. People do that, yeah? People shift the blame, yeah? And he's shifting the blame on them because of his own lack. Well, verse 22, the master said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. Not a good servant, a wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. He's like, if you knew this, right? If you really believed this and felt, felt that that was true, verse 23, why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. Yeah. Well, if you felt that way, you would at least put it in a bank with interest. So he's exposed really of his lying. They, these are just excuses. That's all it is. Excuses. If he really felt that, he would have done at least that much. Well, verse 24, And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. Verse 26, I tell you that to everyone who has more, who, who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So if you're faithful in a little, you're going to be uh, given more, more responsibility, and, and God will give you much more here. But if you're not faithful, he's going to take away even that little bit. And verse 27, But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and, and slaughter them before him. So here, this one servant really is, is part of these citizens that didn't really want this master to rule over them. You know, those who have been given the opportunity and are faithful, then God's going to give them more opportunity. But those who don't even take that opportunity, they're going to really lose that opportunity. And here it just shows that this servant really in our parable is not saved because they won't serve God in eternity too. Um, but we have to be careful now that we're not like this this wicked servant. I think about people who have prayed the prayer to receive Jesus, and then they do nothing with their life for God. God has given them life. God has, has, has given them new life. And what do they do? Oh, thanks, God. See you later. And then they just live life for their own pleasures. So God is coming here and really bringing this rebuke on the unfaithful. You know, 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. We need to live that new life. We don't just say, Thanks God for saving me. I'll see you in heaven when I get there. We have to understand life, this new life, is about living for God and furthering God's kingdom. That's what it's about. It's a dangerous place to be after praying to receive Jesus and and um, like just kind of go on living your life and thinking that, well, I have Jesus now. I know I'll, I'll go to heaven. I could just live the way I want. It's dangerous. Because if you still live like the world with no fruit in your life, then what's the difference? And sometimes it's hard to tell those who are truly saved and, and those who are not. Well, now only God knows what's inside of the heart. But let me tell you, obedience shows the fruit of salvation. So Jesus ends here in verse 27, warning yeah, that these citizens are actually the enemies. right? That they're the ones 
going against Jesus. The Jews that are going against Jesus, not wanting what Jesus is saying he's going to do. The enemy is not Rome, but the sin of disobedience, that's what it is. The enemy is what's going on in their heart. Their unsubmissiveness to God. So our last point is this. The rebuke on the unfaithful is, is because you have ultimately rejected God in your disobedience to his call on your life. That's what the servant did, this last servant. That he, that he ultimately rejected God and who he is as his master in his disobedience, in the call of what his master wanted to do. Really, he disrespected God, dishonored him by not submitting to him. And in that place, you guys, you can't tell, is this person saved or not? we got to be careful. You know, a few years after Christian and I were married, um, I found myself far from God. Backslidden, you would say, lukewarm, living life like how I wanted, disregarding a call of God. I really actually felt when I was 16 years old, at that time, um, I was just living, living my life, living what I wanted to do. And, and I was also frustrated with my life. Uh, my career choices uh, wasn't going the way I wanted. I was frustrated uh, with God too. Thinking, God, how come? Why, why? But you know what? I knew it was my own fault. I was being disobedient to God. But when I hit bottom, you know what? I went back to church. I started weeping before Jesus in repentance. And, and you know what? The funny thing was the first service when I returned, was a study like we're looking at today in Matthew 25 on the parable about the talents. And I was broken. I saw what the Lord was telling me. I'd wasted my talents on me. I was taking what he'd given me and I was just using it for me. And in disobedience, I had not honored God. I had not honored him as my Lord, as my master. Well, I repented and I, and, and I just began to serve him. I began to go to church. I began, um, we both were going Sunday, when Thursday at the midweek was. I, I just we started getting involved in everything I, I, I could. And to get back to all that I was doing before when I was saved, first saved in high school. You know, I came to realize it was me who moved, not God. Yeah. It was me who did not respect God's wishes, who did not listen and obey God's will and plan for my life. So we got to be careful. Don't be upset because God didn't do what, what, what you had asked him to do. Ultimately, we're the ones who reject God and who He is, and we're in disobedience to what He's calling us to do. Especially when we do things for ourselves, yeah? To please ourselves, for our own pleasures, and not for God's glory. God has given us a great gift, you guys. New life in Him. New life. In this life, it really belongs to him, right? It's not for us to do in whatever we want, right? This is the life he's given us so we can live for him. So you and I, we've all been given one mina. What are we going to do with it? Let's invest in the kingdom of God according to his will, his plan. Let's not put expectations on God, on what we think that should be like. But let's take advantage or let's take every opportunity given to us yeah, that is before us, no matter what it is, no matter what you're going through, 
Let's make it an opportunity to invest in the kingdom, to live for him. I'll close with this. The Farmers Association put out a bounty on, on wolves who had been killing a lot of the, uh, many of the sheep in the area. Two hunters, Sam and Ed, Ed went out to earn $100 per pelt. When out in the field, Ed was suddenly surprised for by the light of the campfire, uh, he was woken up. He could, by the light of the campfire, he could see they were surrounded by a hundred wolves with their teeth glaring. Ed turned over and whispered to his friend, Sam, Sam, wake up. We're rich. So let's take every opportunity and be making the most out of what you have. Let's pray. Jesus, as we close up here and before we worship you, God, we want to offer up our lives to you, God. We want to be living sacrifices, God. And we know a living sacrifice is easy to get off the altar, but we want to be a living sacrifice that we have chosen to live for you. We have chosen not to be conformed to this world, but to live this new life differently from the world. God, we have chosen to fulfill the calling you've given us in our lives, to be the people, Lord, that you want us to be, to, to fulfill, God, uh, your purposes in our life. So, Lord, we surrender to you right now, God, and we offer up ourselves to you. Lord, we repent of our sins. Forgive us for living for ourselves and for our own pleasure. Forgive us for taking money you've given us and, and just spending it on ourselves and not your kingdom. But Lord, we want to be faithful with the mina you've given us and to multiply it, God. Even if it's 100%, 200%, even if it's 500%, and by your will, maybe we could do 1,000%. But God, we want to help and be part of of the work in furthering the kingdom of God and saving souls, Lord, that you are harvesting even now, God. Lord, it's not about us anymore. It's about you. Help us, God, to remember that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord.